630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, really good to have you tuning in tonight. Kelly, Rudy, and Daryl Sador in the first hour of the show. Two gentlemen who are on the 1993 Los Angeles Kings. You can reach out, 780-496-0063. I've been keeping you updated on the Blue Jays. It's a tough one tonight. Well, I guess they had a tough one. Uh, uh, what did it wind up yesterday? 20-6 to six or something like that? Uh, Yankees leading 8-1 today in the bottom of the sixth. Hockey tomorrow, so no inside sports tomorrow. I'm back on hiatus, so to speak, <laughs> just for a day this time. We'll have game six after the 6 o'clock news between the Lightning and the Islanders. Inside sports on Friday, and there'll be something Saturday because if there's not game seven between the Lightning and the Islanders, we expect game one of the Stanley Cup final. So we'll have that for you at 6 o'clock. Uh, big announcement uh, yesterday, the Edmonton River Hawks, the newest baseball team in Edmonton. They will start play at Remax Field in June of 2021, playing in the West Coast League. Of course, the Edmonton Prospects had uh, been the residents of Remax Field in recent years. They're going to be in Spruce Grove and uh, continue playing in the Western Canadian Baseball League next year. But let's uh, talk about the Riverhawks a little bit here. The managing director of the team with Baseball Edmonton is uh, former Edmonton Oilers defenseman Randy Gregg. Randy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you. Of course, we've uh, we've talked about this story before, but a, a pretty big unveiling yesterday with with the name and the logo. I, I want to start there. I, I I like the name. Somebody mentioned it to me that it was probably going to be that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, I think they did a good job there. Uh, the logo I, I think is is nice and catchy. Tell us about the the name and the logo, the origins there, and probably a few things you have to choose from along the way. Well, absolutely. You know, there's. Uh, I think we have 100 people. There'd be 95 different ideas, and that's the great thing about sports. Uh, you know, the one idea was to look at the tradition of the trappers and things like that. But you know, the trappers are, are a big part of our history, but they are historical. We wanted to create something that was new and vibrant and exciting. Uh, it's not hard to figure out the river part because, of course, we're right down the river valley. The North Saskatchewan is within a, a really long home run uh, hit from from the outfield. Uh, the hawks is a little bit different. You know, we thought of an, an animal that would be uh, uh, indigenous, uh, indigenous to, to Alberta, which a hawk is. Uh, it wants to be aggressive. It doesn't want to be intimidating, but aggressive, looking at uh, uh, eating uh, uh, small animals and uh, opponents, I guess. And so the idea of uh, having the river hawks made some sense. Uh, there are hawks uh, down the river valley, and so it, it made some sense. We like the catchy um, name to it. And the logo, of course, again, we want to create uh, some unique colors that will blend well. Uh, the blue, of course, uh, is uh, reminiscent, of course, the river and the river, uh, the uh, the water in the river, and uh, yeah, we think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I I think it looks really good. It's uh, got a good ring to it. You know, the logo is is pretty catchy too. It's going to stand out. Okay, so the Riverhawks are, are joining. Uh, a, a league that we have not seen here at Edmonton before, the 15th franchise in the West Coast League. Every other team is in BC, Washington, and Oregon. I, I got to ask because this is often an obstacle for baseball teams in Edmonton. How is the travel going to work here? Yeah, well, first of all, to go back a little bit, you know, we were really hoping to uh, continue to work with the uh, Edmonton prospects here at Remax Field. 
uh, when we heard that they were going to Spruce Grove, and congratulations to them for doing that. Hopefully they'll have a, a really long tenure in Spruce Grove. It looks like a really nice facility they're going to put up. But what that would mean really is that uh, Remax Field would be kept empty, uh, you know, in perpetuity. And so that's not what we wanted for Edmonton fans. We wanted to bring a team in, and if it wasn't part of the Western Canadian Baseball League, which seemed to be a bit of a roadblock over the last year or so, uh, we reached out to the West Coast League. Now, interestingly enough, uh, I was, you know, vaguely aware of the West Coast League. You're right, it's, it's in B.C., uh, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, but interestingly enough, in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft, 90 players had played in the West Coast League. So this is a fantastic league. Uh, a lot of these young players come up from Arizona, California. They don't like the heat in the Arizona summer, so they love coming up north to uh, to beat the heat a little bit, but also to get their reps in, lots of pitching, lots of hits, and things like that. So we're going to get a bunch of players, not only on our team, but the other opposing teams, that are really committed to uh, to get on and be drafted. So although we may not be able to bring in AAA teams that are one step away from major leagues, what we may be able to do is bring in younger players, summer collegiate-level players, who maybe in four or five years will be playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers or the Kansas City Royals. So, is this a full, like, will you go down to Washington and Oregon? Will you play the other teams um, in Canada? And obviously, you know, travel can be expensive. Are there flights involved, long bus trips? How is all that going to work? Yeah, you know, I think if you ever talk to a, a junior hockey player, he'll tell you that the first 18-hour bus trip is really fun. Uh, the next two or three aren't very much fun at all. So, uh, <laughs> I think what we're going to do, in fact, what we've done is as part of our um, – our offer to join uh, the West, West Coast League uh, was to have a travel subsidy. We'll, so we'll be flying these teams in. We'll have three-game uh, series, and uh, so it should work out really well. You know, it's one of the tough things about being a part of the Prairies, uh, but to be honest with you, the, the West Coast League unanimously agreed to have Edmonton join, not only because the, the greatness of the sporting history at Edmonton, but the beautiful REMAX field. I, I think the quality of our, our business group uh, didn't hurt at all. We have uh, 28 individuals uh, who are all Edmontonians who are looking forward to working hard to make sure this is a really good franchise for all our citizens. All right, and do you not have Dale Wishawan involved, who's a minority owner of the Golden Knights? Well, we do, and now that the uh, Golden Knights have been knocked out, he's even more active, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't look forward to that. Uh, Dale's a great uh, man, and he's been a big part of the community here for a long time. He supports so many different ventures, uh, both charitable and otherwise. And so, and, and people don't realize that Dale Wishwin went down to Portland State and played uh, a number of years down there on a, on a baseball scholarship. So baseball was his sport. Uh, I don't even know whether Dale can skate, but I know he can hit and he can catch. And so when we contacted each other and talked about uh, the opportunity to be involved in baseball, he was all in. All right. Randy Gregg joining us then at Inside Sports. He's the managing director for the Edmonton Riverhawks, who will play in the West Coast League starting next summer. You, you mentioned where the players are going to come from. Uh, is there anything you can tell me about uh, other managers or coaching staff at this point? Well, not at this point, but we're really excited. We're in negotiations with a, a fabulous coaching staff. Uh, we're going to probably announce that in a couple of months, but uh, certainly the coaching staff have to be able to handle uh, these young players are coming up really dedicated, wanting to hone their skills. You know, th- we're not in a situation where we're going to change certain things, maybe pitching mechanics or whatever, but just really uh, lead them along, get them a little bit stronger, and, and really give them a great experience up here of not only playing a lot of baseball within two and a half months, but seeing Edmonton and seeing what Western Canada is all about. Uh, the coaching staff will be important from a recruiting standpoint, but for what from what we understand from the West Coast League, uh, there are many, many great players down south who want to get out of the south heat, come up and keep on playing baseball. So um, 
you know, we're still going to work hard on the recruiting, but we think we'll be able to get some really quality players. And, and not only quality players, but people who want to come up and, and enjoy a different experience here in Edmonton. Randy, you wished all the best to the prospects as as they moved to Spruce Grove. That was a story we were following on this show over the last two or three years that they were trying to get a longer term lease. It, it didn't work out for them, so they go to Spruce Grove. Uh, Patrick Cassidy, who's the managing partner of the prospects, was quoted in an article written by Jerry Modijonga Post Media saying that our league sees this as a totally unnecessary hostile intrusion into our footprint, something both leagues have respected for this ta- past 10 or more years. Do you have any response to that? Is that uh, valid in your mind, or how do you see this situation of two teams in different leagues in the same metropolitan area? Yeah, so, you know, I think I can uh, explain that a little bit more, and not only explain it, but also verify with emails uh, that are documented uh, through the RFS process, the city of Edmonton decided to choose an operator whose vision uh, aligned with their goals. And uh, about a year ago, our group was selected. Uh, at that time, we talked with the WCBL commissioner and a fellow named John Eric Candy of the Okotoks Dog in March of 2020. Uh, at that point, they really had no interest in talking further because the prospects had uh, the territorial rights uh, to the field. And we were hoping to get a possible second team, bring keep the prospects in and have a second team in. We think that uh, a city the size of Edmonton, seven, uh, 970,000 people, uh, could certainly uh, you know, justify two teams. Uh, we contacted the prospects owner in May of 2020, and we uh, actually offered four quite lucrative offers. Uh, and the next morning, he rejected all four outright. Uh, so we realized then that probably his main plan was to move to Spruce Grove. And because the uh, West, uh, Western Canadian Baseball League has a 50-kilometer territorial clause, that would mean that basically Remax Field would be kept completely empty uh, for a number of years. Uh, as a future operator of the field, of course, we didn't have a lot of choice other than to look at different options. So Edmontonians could continue to watch competitive baseball. Uh, fortunately, within three months, and many teams took two or three years to get a franchise. It took uh, Dale and I and some other people three months uh, to get the, the West Coast League franchise. And, um, you know, it's really nice. In fact, it was kind of humbling to, to hear that it was a unanimous decision in the West Coast League that they wanted Edmonton as part of their league. So we're really proud of that. I think we did our job. And so does Edmonton. You know, it's a great, uh, it's a great city and a beautiful facility. Uh, interesting enough, about a month ago, uh, that same WCBL commissioner and John Ercandia uh, initiated discussions with us again on waiving the territorial clause because I think they wanted to have a team in Remax Field. But by that time, we had established a really good relationship with the West Coast League. And unfortunately, when we wanted to talk to them five months ago, uh, they weren't particularly interested. So. Again, we're, we're really happy that the prospects will build that beautiful stadium as first Grove and continue to play in the WCBL because, you know, really having a number of elite baseball teams in northern Alberta really will give our young baseball players the opportunity to play someday, maybe at an elite level in front of their friends and family. So ultimately, it's not a, a we versus them. It's more what's best for the community and our, our children and young athletes. You know, Randy, you and I have, have talked in the past as, as this story was, was gathering steam and, and, and your group eventually got the lease that there is a larger vision here. Um, can, I, can I ask about that? Is there anything concrete for other programmings or activities in the area besides Riverhawks baseball games? Absolutely. You know, I think, Reed, that's a really important comment you make because the, there was uh, councillors in city council that were saying, you know, we're getting 28 dates out of 365. And uh, that's just not good enough. The, the facility is on land that is very, very valuable. And there was some thought of taking the uh, Remax field down and putting condominiums up. And, you know, a lot of us think that the city the size of Edmonton deserves a, 
a Rogers place for hockey. It deserves Conwell Stadium for football, and it deserves Remax Field for baseball. So what we tried to do is go to the city and say, rather than just 28 home dates where we're going to have people there, let's try to expand that. Rather than being exclusive, let's try to be inclusive in our community involvement. So really we have four prime goals, I think. The first goal is to bring in very competitive and exciting baseball. And I think for the West Coast League, we absolutely uh, hit the nail on the head there. But the second part is to be involved with local uh, companies and organizations that uh, like to be involved in amateur sports, really love the community, uh, want to create an, an enjoyable environment. We know that there's probably those 1,500, 2,000 active baseball fans that love the baseball. What we're interested in is those 965,000 people who maybe know what a baseball looks like, but they love a cold craft beer, they love the River Valley View, they want to come down and see a little bit of baseball and then be entertained. So rather than just simply baseball, we want to bring this as an entertainment experience. The third thing, though, because of course there is only 27 home games in the West Coast League, is to really open this up to minor baseball, softball, and slow pitch. Um, we think Kennedy, just imagine if a young 12-year-old was taking ground balls at shortstop on a Saturday at, at 2 p.m. and at 7 p.m. he was up in the stands watching his favorite West Coast League players. I think that's really important. As a, a citizen of Edmonton, you know, I want my son or daughter or grandchildren to go out there and be able to play. So I think that's a real focus for us. The final uh, goal that I think is really important as well is as much as we're sporting people, and not everybody in Edmonton is a sports person. They have an interest in music and arts and culture in many different areas. And so I don't think we should be so close-minded to say that this beautiful facility should only be used for baseball. So we're really hoping to contact the people in the music uh, and uh, culture, uh, the art community, and see whether there may be some really creative ways of using Remax Field on the off days uh, so that everybody in Edmonton, not just the baseball fans, can appreciate this beautiful facility. All right. Well, we look forward to that. Randy Gregg joining us tonight on Inside Sports Managing Director for the Edmonton Riverhawks. So he's covered a lot there about uh, the players, the team, announcement with the coaching staff and all that kind of stuff. Randy, we have to talk hockey since you're on the show. Uh, and I know you're a busy guy. Have you had a lot of time to watch the postseason? I, I mean, earlier, a lot of games were on during the day. Uh, but, but have you had a lot of chance to watch the postseason? And anything really strike you about the playoffs being played under very unusual circumstances here? Yeah, so, you know, a really good rule of thumb in medicine is, uh, you know, you have a lot of great patients until you're late, and then they become very impatient. So uh, I don't tend to miss a lot of work to watch hockey. Uh, but one thing that really does come to mind, and, you know, I'm amazed. I'm so impressed with these young athletes going out and playing as hard as they can because, you know, I can remember when I was a single guy, you know, I could go on a 10-day road trip and have no problem. Then when I got married, it was down to about six or seven, and I started thinking about my wife at home. And then when I started having children, you know, I'd be driving out to Edmonton International Airport saying, why am I leaving? I want to go home and see my kids. And so that was a seven or ten day road trip back then. To be in the bubble for this long, I, I know that fans, we, we turn on the TV set, we see the game, their life started at 7 p.m. and ended at 11 p.m. And that's the way a fan, uh, you know, perceive things. But I'm so amazed at the commitment these young athletes have given to be able to be in the bubble, away from their families for this long. I am absolutely sure that they all just can't wait to finish off the season with the Stanley Cup ring, of course, but finish off the season and get back to normality. It's an amazing commitment they've made, and, you know, I respect them all for doing it.
Yeah. Yeah, another game coming up tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Randy, I know we're going to keep talking about the Riverhawks. Uh, I, I tried to get you to tip your hand on the coaching staff, but I'll wait like everybody else, and we'll get them on the show at that point, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. But you know what? It's, it's good uh, when we're sitting around, and we're no smarter than anybody else, but you know, when you're looking for a coaching position like that, you're looking for somebody who can really lead, who's got a great deal of experience. And these young players, I mean, in the 2019 MLB draft, the number one and the number three draft choice had played in the West Coast League. So we're not going to get lower-level players. These players are ready to go to the major leagues. And so we need to get a coach who they will look up to and give them some direction. You know, if you extrapolate that into the 2015 uh, NHL draft, that would be like uh, uh, like seeing Connor McDavid uh, and Dylan Strom play when they're 18 or 19. So we're really excited that the Edmonton fans can come out and see somebody that's not playing in Major League quite yet, but very likely in four or five years, uh, be able to watch them with the LA Dodgers or Kansas City or whoever it may be. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time for sure. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Randy, thanks for checking in tonight. All the best, okay? Hey, thanks a lot, and thanks for your time, Reed. That is Randy Gregg, the managing director of the uh, Edmonton uh, Riverhawks. The name is good, the logo is good, and they'll be off and running in the West Coast League June of 2021. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Is this, is this the odds? It is. Who requested this one? Oh, good stuff. I think we got a request uh, for another one. Randy and Lloyd okay. Minster want something. No worries. Yeah, well, people like this stuff. Hermit has something as well. Yes, Reed. People generally like to listen to music. <laughs> well, especially on a uh, sports radio show with a nerdy host. Exactly. <laughs> the Hermit says, evening, Reed. Just wondering if Roadhammer ever plans on defending that slaw title. Seems like he ain't much of a fighting champion. We, we're in a pandemic, Hermit. Jeez. <laughs> Plus, you know... I don't think, our, let's put it this way, Kellen, our plans for the slaw have not entirely come to fruition. You and I still have a lot of T's to cross and I's to dot. Oh, yeah. In fact, we, we still actually have to write the stem of the T in the I before we dot them and cross them. I, I don't <laughs> think... Road, Roadhammer, is the, Roadhammer is the champ. Hermit can dispute that. Maybe Hermit could come up like with a, his own belt, but he's kind of like got a rogue belt on the side to create a little storyline. But Roadhammer gotcha. is the champion. Huh? You can go that way, no, sure. There's no doubt about that. It's good to have Randy Gregg on the show. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a bit of a bit of a battle there for the Lisa Remax Field. The city going with uh, with baseball. Edmonton. Uh, Randy gave um, the, the process there with. Um, 
possibly playing in the WBCL. And according to Randy Gregg, the, the Western Canadian Baseball League was willing to, uh, at a point, to waive the, um, the location restriction to have possibly two teams in Edmonton. But by that time, Randy says they were too far down the road with the West Coast League. So the Riverhawks will join that league, all the other teams uh, in BC, Oregon, and Washington State and uh, they will get a subsidy so the teams can fly in and out and the Riverhawks can fly as well. So uh, that is how that is going to work. Roadhammer says, I will defend my title anytime I need to. Damn right he will. See, that's the kind of champ we need that steps right up immediately. Immediately, Kellen. I love it. The champ that Roadham- takes tar- charge, yep. Yeah, Roadhammer is a good chief. Roadhammer has been a loyal and, and strong champion for the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling. Norman a combine who uh, <laughs> this, this doesn't even make any sense. Uh, hey Reed, tell Roadhammer this farm boy is coming for the title. He can't hide behind government forever. Ha 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 ha. Norman a combine. Okay. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if there's a typo in there, but anyway. <laughs> the combine kid. Well, we could just call him Norman a combine. That would be his. Uh, uh, are you in a combine right now, Norm? That's I, that's what I want to know. How often are you actually in a combine when you text inside sports? I imagine he has a luxury combine. And trust me, I don't know a lot about combines. So you could really answer with anything, Norm, and I would believe you. 780-496-0063. Appreciate the, uh, the friendly trash talk on the text line. That's some good stuff. We will uh, talk a little bit uh, a little bit of golf when we get back. Inside sports on 630 Shed. Norm is in a combine right now. That is awesome. Wow. this one killing this is swallow the sun with falling world uh randy sent this in well i don't mind that one road hammer and norman a combine i might have to give you guys each other's phone numbers so you can directly trash talk road hammer says hey norm are you in a combine anywhere along highway 28 i'll pull over at your field and we can deal with this right now <laughs> this is that's, that's escalated a, a quickly folks it's, it's getting out of control I never thought that so many people would want to be the champion of the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling. It's it's pretty good. It's very special. You know, I, then I was thinking, too, we could have the, the Pigeon Lake Organization of Wrestling, the Plow. That would be the Farm League. That'd be the Farm League. The yes. Plow would be there. We just created it. It is. There we the go. The Plow would be the Farm League to the Slaw. Triple A affiliate. The Triple A. <laughs> That's right. Ah, we're just full of ideas on this show. Full of something anyway. Yankees leading the Blue Jays 11-1 in the bottom of the seventh uh, trade today in the NHL. If you missed it earlier, Eric Stahl goes to Buffalo. He turns 36 in October, has a year left on his contract, $3.25 million. He had 47 points this past regular season. And Marcus Johansson goes to Minnesota. He turns 30 on October 6th. He has a year left at $4.5 million. He had only 30 points this uh, past season, uh, we continue to see uh, what's going to happen with the Oilers. So obviously, uh, a goaltender is their priority. Bob Stoffer and I were talking about that on Oilers Now 
on Monday. You know, Miko Koskinen, he, he's going to be here. He got the he got the contract from uh, from Peter Shirelli. Koskinen's save percentage was actually 15th in the NHL this past season among goalies who played enough minutes to qualify. Uh, 917 save percentage, 15th in the NHL. He played 38 games. When he played 55 games the previous year, uh, he was a 906 save percentage, which was only 38th in the NHL. So I, I think Koskinen is a goaltender who can be a pretty good backup if, if they play 82 games next year, which they might not as a side note. We could be looking at a 60 to 70 game season if they start in January. But let's say Koskinen plays, I don't know, 40% of the games. Then I then I think he's fine, but I, I think they need a goaltender who can play sixty percent of the games. I, I I would not give up on Matt Murray. He's only twenty six. He has a couple of Stanley Cups on his resume. Uh, he's somebody I could look at, and I think with the number of goaltenders on the market this year, you will not have to overpay. Now, once the first guy signs or is traded, the dominoes are going to start falling, and maybe the prices start going up. But uh, I, I don't think the Oilers are going to have to, or they shouldn't have to overreach for uh, for a goaltender. But I think they're going to need an upgrade in that department. I think it was fine in the regular season for the most part. Usually, one of the two was going well enough that you that you felt pretty good about the goaltending. Uh, you know, certainly Mike Smith in January and most of February was was incredible, and Koskinen had a couple of really good starts in March before the season shut down. Remember that game they won in Dallas. I think it was their second last game. They no, it wasn't that second last game, but it was the last week and a half. Uh, they won that game in Dallas when Alex Chason scored in overtime, and Koskinen completely stole that game for the Oilers. So anyway, uh, that's a big storyline for Edmonton over the summer. What happens with the goaltending? Who do they bring in, and who might they have to give up? Rob at Johnny's Lake has the text of the night: not trash talk, thrash talk. I love it. Since Norman McCombay is involved. Rob at Johnny's Lake, why don't you text more? You make me laugh. And I imagine you're also incredibly handsome. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. I think the Yankees just hit another home run. It's 13-1. It's 13-1 Yankees leading the Blue Jays wow. in the bottom of the seventh. My goodness. Not good tonight. Uh, the U.S. Open starts... Tomorrow at, at Wingfoot, uh, that is in New York, and this is—I actually went back and, and watched a, a video on this this afternoon, Kellen, because two, the 2006. Now it's not in the category of, of another epic collapse, which I, which I will talk about in a few minutes, and, mm-hmm. and I want to tie that into something else. But Phil Mickelson at the 2006 U.S. Open it, it has a one-shot lead, so he needs a par to win the U.S. Open. And he needs a bogey to force a playoff. Now, a little bit of of uh, of the backstory here. Phil Mickelson uh, had won the. Uh, where am I looking here? I'm in the wrong column. He'd, he'd won the the PGA in 2005. He'd won the Masters in 2006. He had won two consecutive majors. So he had a chance to win three consecutive majors. Tiger Woods had won four in a row, uh, but Mickelson was looking very good to win three in a row. Now, uh, you know, Woods was the preeminent golfer of the time. 
Mickelson was, in my mind, a very strong number two. He'd had that reputation that he could never go get over the hump. He wasn't as good as Woods. He finally won the Masters in 2004. And then, you know, big chance here to complete the... Uh, to, to, well, he hadn't won the British yet, but to get the third major, to get three in a row, and he's coming to the 18th, and he's he's looking good. He needs a par. And he hits a tee shot that you or I could hit. Anybody listening could hit a tee shot, as not as far as Mickelson hit, but certainly as far off line. I mean, he hit a shot that is, is not characteristic of a pro golfer. I was, I was re-watching some video of this today. I don't know if you remember this, Kellen. You know those huge hospitality tents they'll have at golf tournaments? Oh, yeah. He hit that. Ooh. <laughs> he, hit, he hit it so far left, he hit a hospitality tent that was set up between holes. And, and I didn't realize this until I watched the video earlier today, that if that tent hadn't been there, his ball would have gone onto the second fairway, which was the adjacent hole on the left, and he would have had a shot to hit the ball back over the trees and would have had a pretty good chance to reach the green. So he hits this huge tent and it bounces back to the right, but not far enough into the fairway, and, and he's in the rough. Now, the U.S. Open is known for having very deep and punishing rough. But here's the thing. There are spectators. There is a gallery, and that rough is trampled down. So he, he gets a bit of a break. So now what do you do? Now what do you do if you're Phil Mickelson? Well, here's the beauty thing about Phil Mickelson, and I think why he appeals to so much of the, the every man or woman golfer, yet while he's also extremely frustrating, is that he goes for it. So instead of, okay, I'm, I'm in the rough here, uh, I'm going to try to hit a, a safe shot and get into the middle of fairway and pitch on, and uh, Mickelson's short game is incredible. Instead of making the safe play, and giving himself a one-putt par to win the U.S. Open, he decides to go for it out of the rough, and if he makes the shot, then he's got a, you know, two putts to, to win the title to make par. So he's, he's off this big tent. He's in the gallery area. He's 210 yards to the hole, and he tries to hit a cut three iron, so he needs to bend it around the trees a little bit. And, of course, he hits the tree, and the ball goes backwards. Um, so then he has an 8-iron left into the green. So now he needs to put the 8-iron on the green and one putt, and he has to launch the ball over trees down the left-hand side, which he does. He gets it up into the air, but it stays left of the hole and goes into the bunker. So now he has to hold the bunker shot. Uh, to win, he he hits out of the bunker and it goes all the way across the green into the fringe on the on the far side of the green from where he was. Then he has to chip that in to win, and of course he doesn't, and he makes double bogey on the hole, and Jeff Ogilvie wins it. And of course Mickelson, that is as, as great as he is, that that is still the the hole on his resume, and the one tournament that he has said he would love to win. You got to win that U.S. Open, and and that was his best shot. And he wasn't able to do it. And look, bogeying the—if he bogeys the 18th hole at a U.S. Open and goes into a playoff and loses—and that was still the playoff system has now changed. It's now a two-hole playoff for the U.S. Open. That was back in the day. It was still 18 holes on Monday, so it would have been Mickelson against Jeff Ogilvie 
18 holes of stroke play to win the U.S. Open. You, you, I would favor Mickelson in that situation. Nothing against Ogilvy, but he hasn't had as good a career as Mickelson. So if he bogeys 18, it happens. It's the U.S. Open. But it's that he double bogeyed and how he did it by not just hitting a, a really bad shot, but, but then by taking a low percentage risk on the second shot that got him in even more trouble. Uh, it is one of the defining moments of Phil Mickelson's career. I'm not going to say it's the defining moment because he has won five majors and a ton of other great tournaments, but things that happen in uh, in majors and things that happen where you don't come through under pressure, th- those do get the, the light shone on them. And, and that happened to Mickelson in that situation. So it's back at, at, at winged foot starting tomorrow. Love watching the golf majors. And I also, and I, now I, I, I kind of, kind of ashamed to admit, I didn't even know about this series. There is a series on Netflix called losers. Have you seen this Kellen? I have not. No. All right. I think, I think it came out last year. I was actually golfing with my buddy on Monday and, and he told me about it. So the series is called losers. And it's uh, about half hour episodes. I watched almost all of one today. I still got the last few minutes to watch. Uh, Kellen, the name is Jean Vandeveld. Ring a bell? Uh, it should. Nineteen ninety nine British Open. Okay. At Carnoustie, punishing difficult golf course. So there is an episode of Losers on Netflix. Uh, called the 72nd hole and it is about John Vandevelt and it's, it gets into his backstory and his career and growing up playing golf and getting into the sport and then it focuses on that 72nd hole at Carnoustie where now Vandevelt went into that tournament ranked 152nd in the world now if you're uh, the 152nd best golfer in the world you are an amazing golfer but in a field of the other best golfers in the world you're an extreme long shot to win and he was in a position to pull off what would have been one of the most unlikely major championship victories ever, ever. That's, that's what John Vandeville was trying to do. So he comes to the 18th hole at Carnoustie with a three shot lead. He wins with a double bogey. Now, again, Carnoustie is, is a really, really difficult golf course playing really difficult that week. In fact, the, uh, the, the winning score was six over par. Uh, Vandeveld wound up tying with Justin Leonard and Paul Laurie, who won in the playoffs. So the 72-hole score was six over par. And Vandeveld all week had been hitting driver. High risk, high reward. And he was saying, I figure if I'm going to hit it offline, I might as well hit it as far as I can and be closer to the hole. Now he's got a three-shot lead on the final hole of the open championship and he still hits driver. What one of the commentators they, they interviewed for the story said he could have hit three wedges and reached the green and then two or even three putted and won the tournament. So he hits driver like way offline. And then he's, he's in the brush, you know, the, the British open, uh, whatever they call it, the knee high stuff. The name escapes me at this point, the, the Heather, whatever it is. And then instead of laying up out of that, he pulls out a two iron and goes for the green. And then that's the one he came up short. And Kellen, you'll remember this. Remember he hit the ball into the burn and then he, he took his shoes and socks off and rolled up his pants above his knees okay, and was considering yeah. that's John Vandeveld, 1999 British Open. Okay. I know you were a much younger man then, but I'm sure uh, you've seen that image at some point. Yeah, so he same. briefly considered hitting the ball out of the Barry burn. 
Fescue, thank you, Aaron, for texting in. 7804960063. Aaron, you're the official vocabularian of inside sports. You get a canned ham and maybe even a T-shirt. Well, just a canned ham. Uh, the fescue, he was in the fescue. So, so Vandeveld briefly considers trying to hit the ball. Like It's like a little creek, but there's a brick wall in front of him. So he finally picks up his ball, gets onto the green. No, he, sorry, he didn't get onto the green. He hit into a bunker. Then he has to, the only way now he can win outright is by holding the bunker shot, which he didn't. And then he makes the clutch putt for a triple bogey. Like that, this sounds like a game of golf that I would play. Yeah, you know, I made a really clutch putt for triple bogey and I shot 99. You know, but like he, he he's doing it to get into a British Open playoff, uh, which he made the putt, but then he lost. So that, to me, that's the most famous golf collapse well, Greg Norman at 97. Now you, <laughs> now you really got me. But see, Norman's was over the course of the whole round against Faldo. Uh, Vandeveld was all on that one hole, was was all on that one hole. And I remember watching it live. I would get up and you know early to watch the end of the British Open. And it, it was just stunning to watch. And then he was still in a, in a playoff. And, and I think he double bogeyed the first playoff hole and was pretty much over from there. But just an incredible scene. So thinking about uh, Phil Mickelson at Wingfoot in 06 got me thinking about Vandeveld in, in 99. Seriously, like I'm sure the whole sequence is on YouTube. It's Curtis Strange was doing commentary. Uh, Mike Tirico was was doing commentary. I can't remember the, the, the name of the guy who was on the course. But the series, and I want to watch more, is called Losers. It's on Netflix. And there is also, and I don't know what it's centered around because I, I don't consider this guy a, a loser, but he did have a really tough loss in the, in the briar. One of the shows is about curler Pat Ryan, who was originally from Edmonton. He's, he's now 64, three-time world champion. Um, but I guess the jumping off point is, is a loss he had in, in the briar and something that, that happened uh, as a result. So a pretty cool-looking series. It's called Losers, and it's on Netflix. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Huge opportunity for Dallas as Gurianov goes behind the net. Now it's sent back to the left circle. Klingberg from the line, right side. Gurianov shoots and scores! Dennis Gurianov with a one-timer for the right circle beats Robin Leonard left side and the Dallas Stars are going to the Stanley Cup Final. Brendan Batchelor with the call on the Sportsnet Radio Network and here on 6.30 Chet from a couple of nights ago, Dallas over Vegas in overtime to advance to the Stanley Cup Final. Kellen, what made you dust off Rock Rock Till You Drop by Def Leppard? Uh, honestly, a last-minute song <laughs> selection. I needed something coming back. It was there. All right. I was like, hey, let's play it see what happens. That is uh, awesome. It bees that, is that way sometimes. Awesome. Uh, Aaron, thanks for uh, texting in and sharing. Aaron was asking about the ticket prices to uh, the Edmonton Riverhawks. I, I, I don't think those have been set yet. 
Um, Aaron, I'll try to shoot uh, Randy a note to see if they have a ballpark, but uh, I, I don't think they have that yet. I think that that's information that'll keep coming out uh, along the way, but thanks for your interest. And uh, Aaron says he already has a Ryan Jesperson mug, so he does not need an inside sports canned ham. Well, we'll give the canned ham to somebody else. Uh, Aaron also says he was a season ticket holder for the Blue Jays for years, and he almost caught Carter's homer. That was amazing. Wow, I'd cool. like to hear that story, Aaron. That is cool. You should call in sometime. That That's a great Canadian moment. Trucker Dave says, Losers is a good series. I like the Briar story, the old curlers smoking cigarettes and curling. That is... Uh, that is from Trucker Dave. Curlers uh, these days are in much better physical condition than back in the uh, back in the olden days, <laughs> as, as we can now call the 1970s and 80s. Yeah, I, I think it'd be pretty shocking to see a curler at the Briar having a cigarette now. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty alarming. Uh, Rob texting back in, he says, I'm getting all paranoid. How did you know I was handsome? Rob, I have a special ability and I can read someone's text and figure things out about their life or about them. It's sort of my latent mutant power. It's it, most mutants, their, their powers sort of blossom in their teen years. For me, it's their forties. And I had to go into uh, radio and host a show with a text line to truly get it. Cause I, I just get images of people, you know, sometimes is uh, at the big L he's got a, a, a hammock on his, uh, on his veranda and he's text from the veranda, Norm in a combine. I, I just had a sense he was in a combine. So there you go, Rob. That is, uh, that is how I know. It's just my power. That's, that's all I can tell you. I'm picturing a, uh, sw- uh, kind of like an office, like professor Xavier had in like those X-Men movies with like the rotating desk and just, yeah, no, there. my office is not like that. Kellen. <laughs> my office is much smaller as, as you know, it's, I, I'm ba- I've moved out of the basement. I'm back in the, the bedroom that's slightly bigger than a closet. Mm-hmm. So I've set up here again. It was getting cold in the basement already. Yes, it is. So I decided oh, I got to move. Uh, I got to move back upstairs, and it's uh, it's nice here. Obviously, it's getting dark already, so things are things are changing. Uh, oh, Mark liked my mutant comment. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad. I'm glad I amused somebody. <laughs> Yankees leading the Blue Jays thirteen one. That's in the bottom of the eighth. Picking the Yankees seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Yeah, I just. I, I look, I, I am fascinated by the sport of golf and I, I continue to be terrible at it. On Monday, I had uh, an, an awful experience golfing, even though through 12 holes, I was having my best round of the year. And over the last six holes, I basically forgot how to hit the ball. And I wound up with kind of a score that I've been averaging this year. And I was on pace to probably shoot my best score of the summer by five or six shots. And then I wound up kind of mid nineties again. So that was, that was pretty disappointing, but I'm just fascinated by golf. And I always, I always, I don't get angry, but I reject the notion when someone says, well, golf is not a sport, you know, it's not, you don't have to be athletic and you, there's no hitting and you're, but I just think as a mental test and as a mental grind, I don't think there is anything like golf a lot of times you ask a, a hockey player or a football player, a basketball player, they made a big shot. A goalie made a big save. A receiver made a big catch. And you say, well, what was it like in that moment? And they'll say, well, I, I didn't have time to think about it. I, I saw the puck coming and I knew I had to shoot it quick and it went in. 
Well, I went to the huddle and that was the play call and we had to line up quickly. And I, I've run that play a hundred times in practice and Jimmy quarterback put the ball right where it needed to be. And I caught it and I was in the end zone. So they're, they're just, it's muscle memory. It's, it's confidence and it's trust and all those kinds of things, which are important in golf. But in golf, you are sitting there thinking about it. So Jean Vandeveld's walking from 17 to 18 and he has, you know, 60 to 90 seconds to think about having a three-shot lead at the British Open and thinking like, oh my God, all I need is a double bogey. Of course I'm going to get a double bogey. And then everything falls apart. And that, I, I just love that about golf more than any other sport, seeing how the players deal with the pressure. And they are in the moment in a different way than players in a faster paced sports sport would be that's that's how i always look at that but this song means it's the end of the show my goodness and we don't even have a show tomorrow i'll have to resume this train of thought on friday hockey tomorrow lightning and islanders thanks to dave campbell he's the producer of inside sports kellen kennedy your studio operator my name's reed thanks for listening have a great night Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.